You know, Randall, I never know how to start the show. Like, what am I supposed to say here? Coming out of the gate, how do we get this going? Uh, I guess it's let's talk Cubs baseball. It's January 25th, middle of winter, and we are getting oh so close to the start of spring training. So lots to get to on the program here tonight. A couple of Cubs have already arrived in Mesa, and there's some questions still about this roster. What can the Cubs reasonably do? Are there certain players that maybe need to be traded? We'll break that down a little bit here as we get going. Uh, Jeremy is back from his sojourn to Florida. So we want to talk a little bit about his trip down there, and I certainly want his take on Trey Mancini. It's something that I still have not yet heard from him. The only word that Jeremy has sent Randall and I about Mancini is nice. So we got to figure out what exactly nice means from Jeremy Spector. Uh, we got some thoughts on the Cubs bullpen. We've got some prospect news and some transactions over the last week that are somewhat notable as we get ready for spring training to start. Uh, towards the end of the show, we got a couple of fun things here. My nephew Colin has two trivia questions for us. So he's going to send those in. We'll see how we do with that. And then a familiar Cubs broadcaster is returning to the division. So we get to talk about Chip carry before this show comes home uh, but jeremy it's good to have you back in the mix randall's also here tonight but for the first time in a couple of weeks all three of us are here and you had a chance to go to florida you saw some spring training some minor league parks uh, jeremy what notable ballparks did you see here over the last two weeks or so well <clears throat> i got to see a few of them actually i uh i was first off i was in lake buena vista i flew down with my father um, we, we flew down to the Orlando area. And so, and after that, I was going to Tampa for to spend a week with my uh, family. And so first I, I got a car, I was on my own for the first night and I drove from basically the Orlando area, Lake Buena Vista to Tampa. And on the way is Lakeland, Florida. So I figured why not stop in Lakeland, Florida on the way, you get a nice view of, uh, Detroit Tigers, took some pictures of that, sent a few to our good friend Tigers fan, uh, up there in Michigan, Greg Kerner. And, uh, yeah, so you got to see the Tigers then out in the, Tampa area, there's actually a pretty good amount of ballparks. I got to see the Blue Jays up there in Dunedin, the Phillies in Clearwater. Uh, I saw the Yankees uh, legend, or excuse me, George M. Steinbrenner field now that they call it. And so there's there's pretty good ballparks out there. And it was, it was pretty nice to see, you know, bodies are pretty new parks. I mean, I saw some of the older ones and it's just crazy to see just like, first of all, the Yankee Stadium is pretty huge. Like, yeah, you see all these huge complexes. And and it's just nuts to actually think about like all the money that these kind of local municipalities have spent to put up for these uh, teams. And then on the way back, we uh, stopped in Chattanooga. So I went over and I checked out the Chattanooga Lookouts, checked cool. out their ballpark. It's pretty cool. It looks over the river, kind of there's you got Lookout Mountain. So, yeah, I saw a bunch of ballparks. And uh, that's something I always like to do, you know, when you're in a location, go check out the ballparks. They're pretty cool. Jeremy, I have to ask the Tiger. Do the Tigers actually fly down there in Lakeland? I did not see any flying tigers. It would have been pretty well, cool. Somebody, somebody is doing a little bit of false advertising then. Yeah, I mean, you know, they could have had those airplanes out there from like the forties that were over in in uh, in Asia. But uh, I, I thought that was a pretty nice park. I walked around it a little bit. Uh, they did have like a fun statue. I didn't really, I couldn't really quite make out who the statue was of because the the plaque the or nameplate or whatever was kind of. I don't know. I just couldn't make it out. And they had this statue of these two men shaking hands. And I'm not a tall guy at all. Not at all. And I was like maybe an inch taller than these men shaking hands and they made a <laughs> statue of it. I'm like, who are these men and why are they why are they so short? It was kind of ridiculous. But it was fun to walk around that ballpark in Lakeland, because there's not much in Lakeland. And uh yeah, it was it was pretty neat. It's neat to see these ballparks. They're just it, it was a pretty new looking ballpark and uh I thought it was fun. They had the all the twenty twenty three schedule up already. So, yeah. you know, 
this is happening fast. There, there. Uh, when I was in uh, Clearwater at the Phillies, uh, I uh, talked to an official uh, security guard down there who was driving around. He was like, "Yo, players are going to be out here tomorrow, uh, training already." And so it was. It, this is happening fast. Guys are out there. Speaking of Steinbrenner Field, it's a very big facility like you were talking about. It's in the shadow of the football facility that the Buccaneers play in. But you sent us some pictures of what looked like like a mini monument park or a walking path that had placards. What was that all about around the Yankee Stadium spring training site? Yeah, so outside of Steinbrenner Field, outside uh, um, kind of where the team store is and the administrative offices, they have basically, as you said, like a mini monument park. They have all of the retired numbers are out there around and they have uh, little, you know, placards to them with, you know, description of who everybody was and, and what they did. And, you know, they, and the Yankees have a lot of retired numbers. So there was yeah. a lot of guys out there. You got DiMaggio, Ruth, Garrick, everybody, Mantle, you know, everybody you can name it. The last, the last five were all kind of fun because they're all kind of together in a group and, you know, Posada, Williams, Rivera, uh, Pettit, Jeter, those guys were all together. And the one thing they also had was a, uh, a monument to uh, the Twin Towers, 9-11. Oh. So that was kind of interesting, too. That was right there. And uh, so they had a little mini uh, uh, statue, I guess, of the Twin Towers. And so it was kind of somber over there. But uh, it, that was interesting. It was interesting to see. That's a big facility. I, I believe that's the biggest ballpark uh, spring training facility in, in Florida. Well, all that Yankees money isn't going to buy them you know, a small shared stadium with some other team. Uh, the Yankees, you, you mentioned they have a lot of retired numbers. They actually have every single digit number retired. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, and nine. You cannot wear a number lower than number 11 as a member of the New York Yankees. I, I think it's a little excessive as a numbers guy, but nobody asked me. But all I those think guys these are also are great. like the greatest players of all time. Yeah, it's not like it's uh, Jose saying, Hernandez out there. I'm not saying the the numbers, you know, one through nine are excessive. I'm, I'm saying total. Like I think it's a little excessive retiring the number of a a Pettit and a Posada. It, it feels like the bar is a little low for them. But yeah, again, nobody well, asked me. I think well, these I guys mean, are multiple World Series champions. Randall, come on. Yeah, I mean, for them, yes, because they have so many Hall of Famers. You could make the argument that. Um, you know, maybe, but also those are great players. Those are borderline hall of famers. They're like right on the cost. They probably won't get in, but they're like, they're the Cubs. You know, we could expand for the Cubs. If we're thinking about it, like everybody, the Cubs have is a hall of famer, but like, if you wanted to like retire Mark races number, that would kind of be like on the same level of that, uh, of a, and those guys are multiple world series champions. So like if Mark race won four world series, Anthony Rizzo, you know, those guys are all gonna be worse players, but people are going to talk about them in the future of, of, you know, what maybe we should do something to honor them. So I don't, I don't know. I think like Ori Posada, Andy Pett, those are great players that Bernie Williams, that, but you look at the one through nine guys, those guys are all no doubt hall of famers for, for most, except for Billy Martin, who was like a hall of fame manager. So it's crazy. Randall, did you have something? Oh, see, he puts uh, his hand up and then jukes me out here. Uh, one more question though, for you, Jeremy, you talk about all the notable things at the Yankee complex. I am curious of all the other ballparks that you went to, was there anything that you noticed? It could be the location. It could be like an architectural detail on the ballpark. Was there anything that was noteworthy to you or even had you laughing? Like, wow, I haven't seen that before. Something like that that caught your eye of the other sites you saw down there. Uh, I, I, the Phillies one was, well, first of all, I did drive past Tropicana Field. I did not stop at Tropicana oh, Field. You, at that'll Petersburg. make you laugh. And I drove past it. We kind of went away because actually the day we were down there was a Martin Luther King Jr. Day. 
and they had a parade like down through the heart of Petersburg. And so it was hard to get around. So you had to drive around the trop to get to the other side of the city. And which was something that was kind of new to me because I'm like in Chicago, we can't have Martin Luther King Jr. parades in the middle of January. But uh, that, that, that was not a good looking ballpark. I'm going to say from the outside, it just, just out there was just a mess. But of the spring training facilities, I thought they were kind of cool. Like, like they're all, brand new like that's the one thing is like a lot of these are have been built recently over the last 10 15 years uh i thought the blue jays were kind of interesting just the way it was uh the tigers as i mentioned the phillies was kind of weird a little bit it was like in clear water it's kind of like in the kind of around like a strip mall um kind and kind of like set back like it was a little hard to access um and it was kind of a funky shape to it so i think the phillies were kind of that was kind of an interesting ballpark to walk up walk around um and they had the practice uh like a like another field like right next to it, but it wasn't a full field. It was kind of like a miniature field already there, but there was like a bullpen and stuff where you could see guys training. So I thought, I thought the Phillies was kind of an interesting uh, setup. It it was, Uh, it was in Clearwater. Aren't most, most things in Florida found relative to a strip mall next to the strip mall behind the strip mall in the strip mall. Chances are every spring training park you saw was probably nicer than Tropicana field. Yeah, well, they were, they did look nicer from the outside. I could tell you that much. And the one thing I was actually a little surprised was how many, um ballparks are out in the Tampa area. Like those are just four or five that I named, but then you, you go south, excuse me, of St. Petersburg, and you know, like in Bradenton and Sarasota and Venice, you have like, you know, a few other teams, the Pirates, the Reds. So like the Tampa area is kind of this congested uh spring training facility. So I, I would say like if not that I'm like this promoting Tampa, but if you're gonna go to Florida for and want to see spring training games, the Tampa area would be the place to be because there's like seven, eight teams over there. Well, and I would say as a former resident of Florida, if you have to be in Florida, Tampa's probably the best spot to be. You're on the west side of the state. you got the nice bay there. Uh, too bad, though, you didn't get to Daytona Beach. Uh, I always think of Jaycock U when I hear about Daytona oh. Beach and Jackie Robinson Field. But you were on the other half of the state, so you didn't get a chance to get yeah. over there. No, I, I actually would have liked to go to Daytona, too, because, you know, uh, or Sebring, because uh, those 24-hour races, or excuse me, 12-hour races are coming up. Uh, endurance races and i thought they was busted you at 500 too but uh no i didn't get the chance to go over there i i was originally planning to go over miami but i decided to go ronan made the call to go from orlando area to tampa and i got to see uh the lakeland tigers on the way so that that was actually a nice stop yeah really good stuff well it's good to have you back here in the fold you're talking about spring training the three of us are thinking about spring training and apparently a couple of big leaguers for the cubs have decided yeah they're ready for spring training too a camp doesn't officially break for the cubs until february 15 but we've learned this week three potentially critical players for the roster next year nico horner infielder nick madrigal and center fielder cody bellinger are already in mesa working out so when i saw that news i said hey very cool like we're all really excited about what Cody Bellinger could potentially be this year. And there's no doubt he is preparing for the season as he arrives in Mesa a couple weeks early. And there's, there's nothing better. Nothing helps cast off the pall of winter, like the suggestion, the notion that there are players in the spring training parks already working out in team gear. And if that's the sort of thing that kind of helps cast off the gray for you, be sure to take a look at the account of rich, uh, I don't want to butcher his last name. I'm not going to say it, but the handle is at B I E S T two, two on Twitter. He is a photographer based out there in Arizona. Um, and he is responsible for posting these great photos of the players out there working out already. So if you need a little bit of a pick me up amidst the snow and the gray, follow him on Twitter. You can see the photos that are prompting this discussion and hopefully that'll get you the remaining 
three weeks until the players actually report to camp. I, I do like looking at those photos and, and seeing photos of guys in camp already starting spring training because it, it does give you kind of like, okay, baseball season's here. You're starting to see some guys. And it, I, I like the idea of Cody Bellinger being down there. You know, he's worked. I've seen a lot of videos of him this offseason working hard. I'm sure he did that the last couple of years as well, you know, as he's been trying to get out of this rut that he's had the last few years. But just the idea of him being down there, you know, with the Cubs training staff, with, around with everybody and Madrigal as well. And uh, it's kind of funny to think about when you see these guys uh, down there so early. And you really don't have like that. I, I feel like we really don't have like that Sammy Sosa kind of thing, any deal anymore. Where like a guy would show up three, four, five days late, and you're like, "Is this guy ever coming in? When's this guy coming?" And that was always kind of like a yearly thing uh, with Sammy. I feel like guys are kind of there early, and yeah. they're already there. It's rare to even see like a guy a day late. Like it's almost, uh, or unless they have some legitimate reason to not be late, that everybody's kind of there at Sloan Park, Aaron Mesa, or. You know, I'm sure around the league, not just Cubs, but that was always kind of a thing. Like when Sammy would, when is Sammy arriving? When is this guy arriving? And I don't feel like we really see that anymore. Yeah, you, you get this this mentality in in a lot of things now, but especially in sports where you have head coaches who can kind of impose this culture. If you're not early, you're late. And you know, baseball doesn't necessarily have uh, offense meetings, defense meetings. You know, the pitchers and the catchers they go over the scouting reports. Uh, but yeah, that's where it kind of manifests in baseball is guys getting out to spring training earlier and earlier. You get players who live in Arizona year round or parts of the year. So, you know, it's just a, a short commute for them down the road. Jamison Tyone's been working out at the Cubs facility for almost as soon as he signed. Um, so, yeah, you guys are reporting earlier and earlier, even if they're not officially in camp. And that's something we couldn't have last winter because, of course, the players weren't allowed to use the team facilities during the lockout. So it's 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 nice in kind of a nature is healing type of way. You wonder if some of them are chomping at the bit just to get a normal spring training again. At the same time, I do think spring training is a little excessive these days, right? Like athletes are in better shape than they've ever been before in baseball history. These guys don't need a month and a half to two months to get ready for opening day anymore, yet we still see them there. And I think it's cool with Nico. Like, he was fantastic last year as a shortstop. Dansby's in the mix now, so he's got to pivot back to second base. It will probably be a seamless transition for someone as athletic as Nico, but he's in there putting in the reps. And we know how important this middle infield defense is going to be to the Cubs' success this year. So I just think it's really encouraging. A young guy like Nico coming off of the best year of his career seems really focused on making sure that he can repeat that or even take another step forward. And man, how exciting would it be if Nico Horner doesn't just sort of return to form from last year, but he gets even better? It would definitely be exciting, you know, with that middle infield, I think could be really good. And Nico always seemed like a, a very driven person, like, you know, an ambitious guy, a guy who works hard. So it, it it's not super surprising to see him down there working earlier. Uh, you know, in, in this offseason, getting, as Randall said, like guys didn't have that opportunity last year. They couldn't go uh, to Mesa. They couldn't go to their spring training facilities and work out. And we saw that kind of with Nick Magical. There was a story about how the Cubs would have to go through intermediaries to really try to give their plan on him rehabbing his uh, uh, his leg situation um, from his last year with the White Sox. And so it's nice to see them all in the facility, being able to get that one on one with the coaches and understand what they're all supposed to be doing. And I just feel like guys are like nowadays, they're kind of it just seems like there's so much opportunity you always see them like posting videos on on twitter during the offseason or instagram or whatever and and you know there's a lot of pitching facilities now there's a lot of hitting facilities things they can do training at their own homes and so it just seems like there's kind of like almost this year round where 
not many guys are really taking that much time off. And, and so it is, it's interesting. I just, I just feel like there's a lot of guys that are out there that are like, they're just trying to get it better because they're so driven at it. And so it'll be interesting to see, like, I, I think there'll be, you know, when pitcher and catchers report, I think there'll be a, a pretty sizable group of position players that are there as well. And, you know, it, uh, it drives certain players. Nobody who's there right now is necessarily fighting for a job. Nico's not fighting for a job. Cody Bellinger is not fighting for a job. But if you are in competition for a position and you see the guy you're competing against in, in there in camp already and you're not there, you go, oh, shit, you know, my competition is already ahead of me. I got to get out there. So that's not necessarily the case with this Cubs roster. You don't have too many guys who are legitimately fighting for a job, but that can, you know, that that can affect certain guys and get them out there earlier so as not to be outdone. Well, there's one guy in the mix here who doesn't necessarily have a guaranteed job with the Cubs next year. That's second baseman Nick Madrigal. He comes over in the trade for Kimbrell a couple years ago. Cody Hoyer, the other half of that trade, we're finally going to get a chance to see him in a Cubs uniform this year. But Randall, do you think it's weird at all with Nick Madrigal there? Because the Cubs have a new second baseman now with Nico Horner going from short to second. Where does that leave Nick? That's kind of a weird thing, I would think, for Nick Madrigal today. You know, it has to be a little weird. Um, but you know, he's a, a younger guy, I am believe, and I'm not positive. I don't know that he's made a ton of opening day rosters in his career because again, he's hasn't been in the league that long. Um, you know, I, I suspect he's probably taking it in stride. I think he knows that he for now probably has a spot somewhere in this organization, and he's just kind of doing what he can to 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 you know brighten his star a little bit so it has to be a little weird for him but it's not as if he's competing for the starting second base job um and you know he, he knows he's not going to start chances are if he stays in the organization there's a decent chance he'll start on the opening day roster weirder than that i think is something we're going to get to in a little bit is a position he's taking reps at and th th that'll be a lot weirder than him being in camp already well what you're talking about is apparently Nick Madrigal has been working out at third base yeah. a little bit. And I'm just going to say right now, if the Cubs, I swear to God, if the Cubs start a lineup next year with Nick Madrigal at third base and Eric Hosmer at first base, you boys are testing my patience here as a Cubs fan. But Jeremy, like, what do you do with Nick Madrigal? The Cubs have a 40-man roster crunch. They've got a bevy of infielders. They've got a starting shortstop and a starting second baseman. So you're the GM. You're the director of baseball ops. What do you do with Nick Madrigal? I'm probably trying to move Nick Madrigal. I mean, right now you're probably selling low because, uh, you know, over the last year, what, what's happened, the injuries is the uh, star has kind of, or the shine has kind of come off of Nick Madrigal. Uh, maybe there's somebody out there that is still interested. He was once, you know, it wasn't last year. He was a top 50 prospect pretty much entering the season. So it wasn't like that long ago where he was still considered kind of a top guy, but, you mentioned the Cubs have options uh, for that middle infield role. I mean, we know they have Dansby and, and uh, Nico as, pretty much as your everyday stars, but you have, you have McKinstry, you have Master Boney, you have all these other guys that can kind of play that role. So where does Nick Madrigal fit in? I'm, I, I, I don't know if anybody wants it, but like he might be the guy where you can move and maybe you can get a bullpen arm. I, I still see them making another move. Uh, before spring training, and I think maybe magical a trade is it. Uh, I I don't really know where he fits with this Cubs team because he's kind of very limited. Like I I don't understand why you would put him in the discussion to play third base. Maybe just to see what he's like out there. But for now, I that's fine uh, in spring training. But like I I can't see it. It's ridiculous to me. They they put him there because they missed Tommy Lastella, 
And they, you know, Nick Madrigal is Tommy Listella slight, looking slightly less like a seal. Uh, Jeremy, I, I am in agreement with you. I think he, I don't think he's going to be traded before spring training. I think he uh, break opens camp with the club. And I think that as spring training develops, somebody will lose a middle infielder. Somebody will determine that they have a glut of relief arms that they can trade from. Some guys are stepping up and you've got a surplus. I do agree that I think Nick Madrigal was not going to necessarily open the season with the team, but I think the Cubs are better served waiting until later in spring training for that opportunity to open up for them. A team is going to need a second baseman and they're going to have pieces they can give up for a second baseman, even if those pieces aren't particularly inspiring. So you mentioned trading him now would be selling low. I don't think his value is ever going to be sky high, but I think you can raise it slightly if you wait into spring training and see who develops what needs. Well, when you talk about teams that might be interested in a middle infielder, ironically, the Chicago White Sox are in the market right now for a second baseman. We saw a report in the last couple of days that they're actually seriously considering Nicky Lopez in a full-time role at second base. Do you envision a scenario or could you see a situation where Nick Madrigal is on the south side this year? Yes, trade him back to the White Sox for Eloy Jimenez. Oh sure, <laughs> I, 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 yeah, I, I could see that. I mean, Nicky Lo, it's, it's Nicky Lopez supposedly, according to that Rosenthal tweet, is not really in the Royals' plans to start at second base. Michael Massey, U of I guy, got to get that out there. Uh, Line I going to possibly be their second baseman next year, but so it's ridiculous to think that the White Sox would be interested in Nicky Lopez coming over. Um, but Madrigal, yeah, I could see that going back. I don't know if right now if the White Sox kind of though have the pieces that would be interesting to the uh, Cubs because I don't know if the White Sox right now are in a position to trade any of their pitching. I mean, uh, with, with unfortunately with what's happened to Liam Hendricks, they're kind of need, uh, uh, you know, some bullpen arms and, and who knows about what's going on with their rotation. So I, I just, I don't know if like that matches there. I mean, I'm assuming the White Sox have a bunch of arms that they could trade, but it would be kind of funny if, if they did the reverse, I know it's not Kimbrel, but if the Cubs traded magical back to the White Sox for a bullpen arm, that would, that would yeah. definitely be uh pretty ironic or coincidental and interesting. And kind of unique to see the Cubs and Sox talking more or more active in trades in the last decade than maybe earlier in our life. And I don't want to talk about Matt Karchner and John Garland or any of those guys here tonight, uh, but got want to stay on the White Sox for just a minute here Boy, it's been a tough offseason for White Sox fans. So you lose Jose Abreu, a fan-favored captain. Uh, Eloy, in an interview earlier this week, was saying he was asked something to the effect of, you know, who's got the leadership now in the clubhouse with Abreu gone? And he said, I don't really know. I guess we're going to figure that out when spring training rolls around. I think they did a good thing getting Benintendi in the outfield. You can potentially move Eloy now to the DH spot. But the starting rotation, you go get Mike Clevenger, and oh, no. Bad news this week for Mike Clevenger. There's certainly no guarantee he's even going to be on the team this year. So it's been a very difficult offseason for White Sox fans. Was White Sox Fan Fest last weekend? I'm sure it was. I'm sure it was well attended. No, they canceled it. They canceled it. Oh, they canceled it. Well, would would anybody be able to tell the difference? I guess is my question. They canceled it. Like they had it scheduled on the schedule and then they canceled it like like maybe a week or two into the off season. I remember people being like thinking like, Oh, that means LaRusse is coming back or something when they cancel. But it was supposed to be this past weekend, which I guess is very fortunate for them that, or I think it might be this upcoming weekend actually, which is very fortunate for them that it did not go through. But yeah, as you said, uh, that Ben Tendi deal is also kind of weird. You, you mentioned Aloy ta- moving possibly to DH, but when he gave that interview, he said he's planning yeah. on playing more right field, which, uh, which uh, I thought was interesting, especially since Aloy, 
like you look at the metrics, he has one of the weakest outfield arms. So to put him in right field to me would be kind of interesting. Um, but yeah, uh, they made basically two moves this entire offseason. One of them, you know, who knows what's going on there. The other one being Benintendi, which is fine, you know, but for that Andrew Benintendi to be the biggest off the biggest contract the White Sox have ever signed somebody to is absolutely ridiculous and insane. Yeah. 75 million for the team on the South side of Chicago, the biggest contract ever. I mean, the Cubs signed Jamison Tyone is making 7 million less than, than, uh, Ben Intendi this off season. So and that's just ridiculous to me. And I, I do yeah. want to say, you know, hope for Liam Hendricks sake, you know, get well, dude. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, let's go back to the Cubs here for a minute. Nick Madrigal. It's January 25th. I love throwing out these. Take a bet. Uh, give me your vote on what's going to happen here. Randall, you're on the spot first. March 31st, opening day. Nick Madrigal is a Major League Chicago Cub. True or false? False. I'm going to go false as well. I, I think they, they move him before opening day. I, I think they have so many options on the bench, as I mentioned. McKinstry, Mastroboni. I, I think it's just kind of, you know, move, move Nick. Even when people are, like, saying – he's useful or whatever. Like he had this great August or whatever. He had like a six some odd OPS in August. It wasn't like he was that he was kind of still a replacement level player. So I, I think he just move him. Yeah. Well, we'll see what the Cubs do here as we get ready for the season to go, but I'll call it a triple play here. Nick Madrigal will not be a Chicago Cub when they bring camp at the end of March. Jeremy, what did your take on this? Trey Mancini is the new first baseman in town. He gets a two-year deal at about $14 million. There's an opt-out if he hits a plate appearances threshold, so we'll see if he gets there and what he chooses to do. This comes immediately after Eric Hosmer gets a contract with the Cubs. Uh, last week, I was sort of down on Trey Mancini uh, to summarize it really quickly not a very good defender wrong side of 30 hasn't had a one f4 season in four years that's where I came with it Randall was more optimistic saying it's much better insurance than Eric Hosmer and he's got some power right a 20 home run guy multiple times in his career where do you fall on Trey Mancini Chicago Cub first baseman uh, I think I fall more towards uh, Randall here I think that first of all I want to say um I think that, like, I wanted when I last was on, we were talking. I, I wanted the Cubs to continue to go out and get more bats. I, I think it's very important. I still think they need more bats. I would say that. Um, but another bat to me is a good thing, as Randall said, or as, or as you summarized, Randall saying, it's more insurance. It's another guy, you know, putting another factor out there, another pretty decent hitter in the past. It's not putting these replace, like even below replacement players out there. Like those are still gains. Like, if, like Frank Schwindel was sometimes he was terrible last year. And I know we say better than Frank Schwindel, but he was basically, if you look at FR, a minus one FR. So if you get a guy who's one, if he is a one FR, that's a two win game. That's a pretty big movement. If you replace a guy just to get one. So like you get, I don't think you throw everybody in the same bucket, but for me, for Mancini, I actually think that Mancini could have a pretty good year with the Cubs. Uh, you look at like his spray chart, his spray chart, I think would fit really well at Wrigley. Uh, last year, he lost a lot of balls into that new kind of left field area that they built. And he lost a lot of balls that could have gone out or would have been hits that ended up being outs. And he hits balls pretty hard. He's been lifting the ball more uh, throughout his career. Every year, his launch angle has gone up pretty significantly uh, or over time, pretty significantly. Uh, so I think that you, you get him lifting the ball more. You get him out of that kind of Baltimore area where they fix it. He still hits the ball pretty decently hard. I think Trey Mancini could have a, a year and he's pretty cheap, you know, 7 million, as you said, over two years. 
uh, a, a year over two years. Uh, and I, I, I just think, you know, it's not, if he doesn't work, you can easily move on from him. And yeah, it's not what I wanted. This isn't the offseason I wanted. I'm not, it's not an A plus offseason. I want to break you. But I think you just keep getting more guys. You have more opportunity for one of them to break out and do something. You get more kind of insurance, more depth as it would raise the floor a little bit, as we've been talking about. I just think for where the Cubs are now, I think you needed to make that move. I think you need to continue to adding. So I think you need to bring in as many guys that could be legitimate hitters as possible. So you're suggesting that Trey Mancini is going to find his balls after losing I, I his hope balls. he founds as, finds as many balls as possible. I hope he parks as many onto Waveland as possible. I, I really like I was looking at a savant page. And I was looking. There are like a ridiculous amount of balls that would be homers in Wrigley Field that were out to deep left field last year. Uh, and in Baltimore, when they put that, they put that wall in there. I, I would click and you would watch the video and the announcer would be like, oh, that ball's crushed. And it's an easy catch in the left field. And you're like, whoa, that, that would probably be gone at Wrigley Field. So I think Trey Mancini has the opportunity to have a major year. I really do believe that. Yeah, we didn't get whatever this year's marketing slogan might be at Cubs convention. I'm sure it's coming unless they just reuse it's different here. Uh, maybe we can kind of enter into the, the running late here. Hashtag find your balls at Wrigley Field. I think that would catch on really nicely. You'd sell some T-shirts. You'd sell some merchandise. Uh, if anyone in the Cubs marketing department is listening, you can use it. Uh, I just want tickets for every game this season. I don't think I'm being unreasonable. How many would you go to would be the question that's that I was asking. Well, I was that's thinking, that's, that's I was thinking point. that same thing them. in my head. <laughs> I'll share them. You guys can have some too. It's fine. Yeah, we could take them three ways. Jeremy, I'm, I'm putting some words in your mouth here a little bit, but I want to see how you're feeling. Do you think Trey Mancini leads the Cubs in home runs next season? Well, let me let me put something out here, okay? And you're going to mock me for as much as you can. The last two years, I said that a Cubs offseason outfielder signing would lead the Cubs in home runs. Now, Trey Mancini is not an outfielder. Um, I said that Jock Peterson would, and I said that Jackson Frazier, at the time known as Clint Frazier, would, uh, which clearly, clearly did not work out. Clearly did not work out, did not work out. Trey Mancini, will he lead the Cubs in home runs? I don't know. Now that I'm thinking about it, there's there's some power guys on this team. I know we don't have a lot of – like. Offense is definitely not. We're not going to blast these, but Bellinger's hit homers. Swanson's hit homers. Wisdom has hit homers in the past. So, like, there's a few guys that could happen, could hit 25 to 30 homers. So, I, I think I might still go with Cody Bellinger. I think he might be the guy, but Trey Mancini is going to be up there. I, I truly believe that. I think he's going to hit some some bombs next year. I hope you're right. You guys are both more optimistic about first base than I am. But... It would be awesome if Cody Bellinger and Trey Mancini are battling for the team home run lead. That means that the season is going very well, especially if those guys are still around past the trade deadline, especially Bellinger on the one-year deal where it's kind of now or never for him, at least as a Chicago Cub, to see how that all plays out. Well, the Cubs are, what, 15 to $20 million under the luxury tax, kind of something in that window as we prepare for spring training to start here. Am I right with that? Jeremy gave me a look that – Maybe question I, I, whether I or not think my numbers well, were off. Well, I think you are right with that, but if you're not really including the, uh, they have the um, kind of like the insurances and all that other stuff that kind of gets factored in about fifty. I think they're more like eight to ten million. Okay, which I assume they're well, saving for in-season moves. 
Okay, so that leads into my question here. If they're 8 to $10 million or so from that threshold, and it seems to be a cutoff that Jed and the front office have been following this offseason, realistically, what can the Cubs do here before spring training starts? Like, Do you anticipate them going out maybe and addressing the bullpen? And is there a possibility the sheriff will be coming back to town? I, I, I do. I think they need a left-handed pitcher. I think that is something they do need out of the bullpen because they don't have really two lefties. So... Uh, Andrew Chafin would definitely be a guy that's interesting. There's a few other left-handed pitchers out there. So one thing I do anticipate them making is a move for a left-handed uh, relief pitcher, which I don't expect to, to cost that much. You know, it's not going to really take out of what they're expecting. So I, I do think they're going to leave kind of this chunk for in-season moves, but I, I, they need a left-handed reliever. So I would love a Andrew Chafin coming back. Uh, there's a few guys out there that I think could be good options, but I, I think they have to add a lefty out of the bullpen. Randall, what do you think the Cubs need to do here or realistically will do before spring training starts? I do think they are going to dig somewhere and find another corner infielder who will at least try and try and push wisdom at third base. And I do agree with Jeremy. I do think they need another left-handed reliever. Um, I think that's probably the two moves that are still on the radar for me is a, a third base capable corner infielder, uh, someone who is not Nick Madrigal taking reps at third base and um, like Jeremy said, a left-handed reliever. I, I don't see them doing much. I don't think the names are going to move anyone's needle or be real big splashes, but I think those are the two positions I do still see them uh, trying to upgrade at as we get to the end of the off season. Of these three guys, who do you think should be the priority for the Cubs if they're looking for a lefty? Zach Britton, Matt Moore, and the Sheriff, Andrew Chafin. I think Matt Moore is pretty interesting. I I I, I think they all um, would be interesting, but I th I like Matt Moore. I I think and now maybe this could just be biased because he was once like the number one prospect in all of baseball ahead of Mike Trout and Bryce Harper, but and we did kind of beat him up in twenty six. I believe it was twenty. Yeah, against the Giants, uh, in the, in the playoffs. But uh, I think Matt Moore coming out of the pen from the left side. I think that's an interesting name. Um, I, I would like to see the Cubs sign him. Yeah, I'll I'll take the other tack here. I will take. Uh, the, the sheriff, Andrew Chafin, um, just because I think that would be fun to see him back, that mustache flapping around out there as he does his pitching thing. I don't think Matt Moore would be a bad signing at all, but Jeremy already said Matt Moore, so I'll take the other path, and I will go with uh, Andrew Chafin. Yeah, and just – I'm with just, you. Oh, go. Yeah, I'm with you, and the, the thing why I think he would make a lot of sense with the Cubs this year, one, he doesn't walk anybody. That's a good thing. You want coming out of the bullpen, but two, he gets a ton of ground balls. And if the Cubs have invested this offseason in Swanson and Nico up the middle, get a ground ball pitcher in the bullpen, get those balls, bounce to the middle infielders, and rack up the outs. So I really like the thought of him returning to Wrigley Field and locking down the bullpen a bit. Just don't I, I lose was, the balls. Yeah. I was just going to say, just to back up my man more a little bit, and, and I agree with you, yes, this team's going to be made on defense. But uh, just pulling up his baseball savant page, now he does walk a lot of batters, but That's all bad. of his uh, – yes, it is bad. It's not good for a reliever when you walk a lot of batters. But everything else is, like, all red, which is a good thing. Um, and he has a lot of strikeouts, a lot of whiffs, a lot of – weak hit ball. So I, I just looking it up even more right now, now he had a 1.95 ERA, a 2.83 X ERA by Savant. So I, 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 I really would like a Matt Moore addition. I think he'd be a good addition to the bullpen. While we're talking about the bullpen, not that this needs to be decided today, but who's the Cubs closer? Like who do you think is most likely to be finishing games for the Cubs this season? I have a very clear vision of this. I think Ross is going to say they'll go situationally. 
I think they are going to try and see if uh, Brad Boxberger, I also, I almost called him Box Bradberger, but that's not correct. I think they're going to try and see if Boxberger can be their kind of David Robertson, the veteran who has closing experience and just kind of jumps up and takes the job. I think if he falters, I think that Rowan Wick is probably next in line. Um, Cody Hoyer is probably still several months away from pitching. He, uh, Jeremy, when was his Tommy John last season? Did, did he miss the whole season? Yeah, he missed the whole season. It was awesome. Okay. So he's all right. So he's about, he's a year, a year plus removed. We'll probably see him at some point mid season. I could see him getting those opportunities when he comes back, especially if Boxberger has pitched well enough, uh, on a bad team to be traded, but just the same. My prediction is, uh, Brad Boxberger. I keep wanting to say it. My prediction is Brad Boxberger getting those save opportunities at least to start and seeing if he can still be a reliable closer uh, in the major leagues. Yeah, Randall, you just got like like call him White Castle. He's just a box of burgers, you know. Yeah, that's how you remember that, him. I, well, uh, I remember he probably his, has uh, a slider too, you know. I remember sliders. his Players Weekend jersey. He literally <laughs> just wore uh, the box emoji and the burger emoji on the back of his jersey. It was very inventive. Yeah, Hoyer, uh, I remember because Hoyer kind of, I I feel like it came out when he just like tweezed a picture of like him from the surgery bed or something. And that was in the off season of last year. So he should be getting back into shape. I think it's going to be Boxberger. I, I think that he just makes kind of the most sense, you know, especially in this day and age when closers aren't really kind of considered that guy anymore. Um, That stopper, uh, he has the closing experience. He's been there. He's on the team. You could just kind of put him in the ninth. You can use some other guys in other spots. So I, I just think it just kind of makes sense for to have that veteran guy back there that it's not the most important role anymore. Uh, it's still going to be a high leverage role, uh, but you could use some of these other pitchers that might be better pitchers than Brad Boxberg in situations that might be more high leverage. And so I think it just kind of makes sense to have Boxberger back there. And Hey, if he racks up a bunch of saves and unfortunately, if the Cubs are in that position again, he could be this year's David Robertson where they trade him for a decent uh, relief, uh, excuse me, a prospect or Chris Martin last year, or some of these Michael Givens as well. Um, so I, I just think it's, it's going to be Brad Boxburn in that role at the end of the day. Well, my prediction last year of Manny Rodriguez leading the team in saves, that didn't go so well. Good news with Manny, though. He's staying in the organization. He cleared waivers, so he's still going to be around. In a couple of weeks here, we're going to make our official preseason predictions for the year, and maybe, just maybe, I got Manny Rodriguez leading the team in saves again. We'll Ooh. see how we put that together. Get put right? back on the 40, man. <laughs> he can lead the Iowa Cubs in saves. Well, I, I'm a fan. He throws hard. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Absolutely. And battled some injuries last year, but I'm really happy that he cleared waivers. He's still with the organization and then they can give it a go again this year. Uh, did I see a is a Kansas city Royal. How about that? You did Crazy. see that that happened. Yeah. They signed him, uh, especially like all the reporting was that he was going to go to Miami, you know, being down there and then just out of the blue, it was kind of like, Oh, he's a Royal. <laughs> Which well, is they say that going to end. They say Kansas city is the Miami of the Midwest. So. That's true. I don't know. It didn't end well in uh, New York, which he'd been there forever. And so then he just kind of ghosted them when he wasn't on the, you know, he didn't make the playoff roster. So uh, it's a role. is an interesting guy. And, and considering that he had his own issues in the past, the fact that he's back in the league, still pitching, you know, and still getting chances just because that 105 mile per hour fastball or whatever is kind of a, you know, interesting thing. So uh, we'll see how Kansas city Royal or Rolls Chapman goes. Yeah. I Caught my attention, though. Uh, something else that caught my attention here today, longtime baseball writer Jim Callis, who's now with MLB.com. Man, that guy's been around forever. He's been covering minor league baseball, prospects, 
independent league baseball. I remember back in 2006, Jim Callis keeping an eye on the Frontier League when I spent a summer with the Rock Riverhawks. This guy's been around the game for a long time. Like I said, he's with MLB.com right now. And tomorrow, Thursday, January 26, MLB.com is going to put out their top 100 prospects. Certainly something we're eager to read about and something we're going to be talking about next week on the show. But we got a little nugget here pertaining to the Cubs and the Cubs' top prospect. Center fielder Pete Crow Armstrong, one of the players that they acquired for Javi Baez a couple of years ago, gets the rare... 80 grade defensively as a center fielder, also listed as a top 10 outfield prospect. I cannot wait for Pete Crow Armstrong in center field at Wrigley Field here in the not too distant future, but an 80 grade defensively, that's very, very rare and super cool to see that tagged to the Cubs number one minor leaguer. And for our listeners, that's not 80 out of 100. This is the 20 to 80 uh, tool grading scale. You grade a guy's bat, you grade his power, his running speed, his glove. So that 80 is the highest mark you can give a player on this scale. And to see a writer of Jim Callis's caliber put that grade on Pete Crow Armstrong's center field defense, that's exciting. Uh, we've seen the highlights. We've seen the jumps he gets. We've seen the closing speed. We've seen the concentration. Ronan, you said it best. It is going to be very fun to see him out there at Wrigley in the summer, a, a summer. We will see him in a summer at some point uh, with the ivy shimmering and the wind blowing and the sky's blue and Pete Crow Armstrong in white with blue pinstripes running a ball down deep in the gap, sliding on the warning track, coming up with the ball and the crowd going wild, coming soon to a Wrigley field near you. And it's not just that he's fast. He's not given the 80 grade just because he's quick and he's a very fast player. Jeremy, it's the instincts, right? The path you take to the ball, it's as good as it gets, apparently, in the minor leagues. Super promising here. An 80 grade is rare. You don't just put an 80 grade on anybody for any skill. So you're saying that this guy is basically the best of the best uh, of anybody, uh, really, and uh so that's that's pretty impressive, and uh, yes, it's you don't just get an eighty grade uh, defensively as a center fielder for speed. Like you have to be able to play the position, you have to be able to go out there and, and get balls, uh, and take routes and read the balls off the bat. And so it is, it's extremely impressive for someone, as you said, you know. And it's not I he obviously has tons of contacts in the scouting world. Hearing that from a bunch of guys, he covered uh, the Cubs for a long time. He was the uh, for baseball America, he was the kind of because he lives in the area. I, I believe he lives, you know, I think his kids went uh, uh, in the north suburbs uh, to school. And so he was I, he has a lot of contacts, especially with the Cubs. So this is stuff, you know, he's probably hearing it from around the league to put that out there. And it's just very impressive. Um, so I, I hey, PCA, Pico Armstrong, I'm very excited to see him um, that. As of right now, that looks like a pretty good trade that Jed made for yeah. Baez and Trevor Williams for uh, P. Crow Armstrong. And if you have an 80-grade defensive center fielder, anything he gives you with the bat is almost like gravy because he's probably going to be worth like two wins just on defense. So if he gives you something with the bat, a major league average bat, that's like a, an all-star right there. So uh, it's, it's pretty impressive to see P. Crow Armstrong get that kind of recognition. And for you baseball gamers out there, you see an 80-grade center fielder in OOTP, lock him up. 
Lock him up, put him in center field. It's critical to building your team. Uh, but yeah, that middle infield defense, center, short, and second. The Cubs, you just sort of envision it these next couple of years going, it's going to be pretty tasty. And the Cubs are a pretty good defensive center fielder in the major leagues right now in Cody Bellinger. So having Cody Bellinger and Pete Crow Armstrong in spring training, working out together, talking to each other, I think there's going to be a lot of benefit to that as well. And the anticipation for Crow Armstrong is double A. I believe, to open the year, and then hopefully he migrates to Des Moines before the season's over. And for our listeners, uh, Tasty is the Ronin equivalent of an 80 grade on the Ronin yeah. grading scale. And that's not something that Ronin drops on just anything. So to hear a Tasty, that's that's equally rare and should be regarded as equally important. I, I would I'll go. I love good defense. I, it, it's one of the most enjoyable things as a baseball fan, whether you're watching the game on TV or you're at the ballpark, seeing the athleticism that some of these players have. I think one of the most exciting plays you can see at the ballpark is a perfectly executed double play, like a beautiful six, four, three double play is poetry on the field. I really, I don't mean to get like cute or weird about it. It's just really good defense gets me excited when I go to the ballpark. And I'm so much anticipating seeing Crow Armstrong in center field at Wrigley Field. Well, hopefully we'll see a lot of those double plays with Dansby and Nico, some beautiful ones. And hopefully I yeah. was going to say uh, with PCA, Precore Armstrong, you know, probably starting off in double A, like there's a potential next year, depending on how well he plays, that, that this kid could be pushing the majors by the end of the season. Like, I don't want to put too much on him, but once you're in double A to me, it's like you're kind of like one step away from the majors. Like yes. you can kind of get there. And so that would be impressive. And hopefully another center fielder that we have that has kind of tumbled down, uh, but still getting some love in some publications is Brent Davis. And I would like, you know, he's pretty good out there too, nabbing the ball. So hopefully he gets back from those leg injuries and he didn't really lose and the back injuries and really lose a step out there in center field. So it would be, it'll be interesting to see if we see Pete Crow Armstrong and Brennan Davis both in Iowa next year at some point. Um, that, that would be interesting. I, I don't think we've gone a show of mentioning Pete Crow Armstrong without equally mentioning that if he's performing well in double A and the Cubs have a need in the outfield, that he could come up. So we're clearly trying to manifest this. And I appreciate the energy and the effort and the aura that we're putting into manifesting Pete Crow Armstrong being good enough to come up and play for a team with a need in center field. We're manifesting it. Yeah, sort of. I, I don't think we're going to see him in center field at Wrigley this year. No, I don't, so. I, I, don't, I don't think so. I don't think so either. Yeah, I could see. Yeah, absolutely. I could see circumstances, especially if Bellinger either doesn't work out or maybe he moves positions if first base ends up being a mess. There's a lot of situations, I think, that could end with Crow Armstrong, but I'm not anticipating. I think that's going to be an April 2024 call up when we're going to see him at Wrigley. Well, that's the whole point of manifesting, Ronan, is you take this thing and you make it real. That's what manifesting is. Well, I agree with you, Ronan. I don't don't think we're going to see P. Crow Armstrong in. In uh, I don't think we'll see him in the majors this year. But what I but what I was kind of trying to say is, you know, once you're double A, like if you play well enough, like mm-hmm. I I just want this kid to be like really good. So like if he's out there hitting, there you get to a point where it's kind of hard to deny like deny you even if even if Cody Belcher is out there at center field, like maybe we have this like breakout year for Pete Crow Armstrong like he did last year where he's hitting, he's up in double tr- A. Next thing you know, he's in triple A and he's still hitting. It's like. Maybe we give this kid a chance to see what he's doing, even if the Cubs are a competitive team or something, yeah. he could help. So, like, that's just all I was trying to say. Like, you're at that point where it's like, if you have a good season, you could put yourself on a major league roster in the next season. And putting aside or radar, I should say, putting aside double A's kind of modern and relative proximity to the major leagues, uh, if you can hit in double A, 
That's a really good sign for your development as a player. That's where the pitchers start to learn proper sequencing. That's where they start to learn to where to mix in their breaking stuff. And that's where they start to have really good breaking stuff. If you can hit in double A and there are some questions about your bat, that's typically a pretty good sign for your development. Because if you do have uh, enough issues with your swing, with your offense, that they are going to keep you out of the majors or keep you from getting to the majors quicker, they will start to show up in double A. So if you can hit in double A, that's a great sign for your development as an offensive player. And I think it's something about baseball or professional baseball that casual fans or non-fans would be very confused by. Because when you explain to a baseball fan or a non-baseball fan how the minor leagues work, you'd naturally assume, okay, AAA, if that's the closest level to the majors, that must be the best overall talent. It's not really the case. AAA has these fringe major league guys, quite a bit of organizational filler, and depth guys, like your third, fourth, or fifth string catcher, the emergency, emergency guy, spends the year in AAA. So really the best talent or the most promising talent is actually in AA. So we're on the same page with that completely, but it's something that I think baseball fans that aren't as locked into the farm would be naturally confused by that. You would just assume the best talents in AAA, but that's not really the case. And in addition to all those categories, you've got the former major league veterans who are kind of hanging out at AAA, hoping to get back there. But uh, no, we're going to be treated to a smoky crow probably to start the season. It seems like a promotion for somebody down the line is a smoky crow night down there in Tennessee. I saw something today, Randall, and I got to pull it up here. I want to make sure that I got it right, but just kind of talking about the minor leagues. And Randall, you're a guy, you love minor league promotions. You I like do. All the interesting fun that goes along with minor league baseball. I'm not I sure do love me this. some minor league baseball. The high A Hickory Crawdads. The Hickory Dickory Docks. You don't even let me finish wow. before no, you I'm, go to the punchline here. All over it. Uh, I'll let you say it then, Randall. What's this name change here coming to the Hickory Crawdads? So uh, for our listeners who are not familiar, the minor leagues are a hotbed of teams temporarily rebranding for one night. And often it's regional food items. You've got teams that have named themselves, renamed themselves temporarily after Buffalo wings, after various meat products, after uh, all sorts of things. You've got teams that call themselves full-time the Rumble Ponies because the area has a history of manufacturing carousel horses. So the minor leagues are a hotbed for just terrific names and terrific temporary rebrands. The Trash Pandas, another good one in the minors. The Rocket City Trash Pandas, just a fantastic name. Uh, They are down in the, uh, the, down in Alabama, the area that does a lot of aerospace work. They are called the Rocket City Trash Pandas, Rocket City being the kind of sobriquet for the area. And their logo is literally a raccoon in a trash can that is blasting off like a rocket. It, it It's so weird and so offbeat, it comes back around to being fantastic. Um, but as Ronan was alluding to, the Hickory Crawdads will be rebranding as the Hickory Dickory Docks um, in <laughs> August, it looks like. Uh, and yeah, and this is uh, a great, it's, it's a fantastic jersey. It's a fantastic hat. We'll post pictures of it. Uh, of course, on our Twitter account at BTYL podcast um, to go with this particular episode. But the the hat is, uh, as the, the nursery rhyme goes, the hat is a rat carrying a baseball bat, climbing up a clock, and the clock is looking very threateningly at it. And the jersey not only says the hickory dickory docks on the front, but the sleeves have these wonderful clock gear patterns on them. 
And, you know, I don't necessarily know if it is a, uh, a local clock making thing necessarily in Hickory, North Carolina, or if they are just alluding to the, alluding to the nursery rhyme, but it's just one of those fantastic minor league rebrands that, you know, you couldn't really get away with in any other sport because uh, few of the other sports have this organized of a minor league structure. The NHL has some degree of minor leagues, but you don't typically see AHL teams. That's triple a relative to the NHL rebranding for a night. And uh, the NBA has the G League and they've got their specialty jerseys. But again, you don't really rebrand for a night or three nights. You get these fantastic rebrands in the minor leagues and it leads to teams playing as the Hickory Dickory Docks with a mouse uh, climbing up a clock right there on the hat. And so it's just one of those great minor league things that you don't really get in any other sport. (laughs) It had me laughing. I saw it and I said, oh, this is totally up Randall's alley. Glad we're able to work it into the podcast tonight. Uh, Going back to top prospects for a minute here. So Jeremy, last week when it was Randall and I on the show, we referenced Baseball America put out their top 100. Three Cubs made the list. All outfielders, Kevin Alcantara at 91. Brennan Davis takes a dip down to 84. And then Pete Crow Armstrong at 25. So mostly excited about that. As we said tomorrow, MLB.com is going to come out with their top 100 list. Take a prediction here, Jeremy. How many Cubs are going to make that top 100 tomorrow? I'm going to go on a limb. I'm going to be uh, optimistic. I'm going to say five. Great. Uh, um, who else would you add if the, you were starting with those same three? I, um, Mervis, uh, he made the baseball perspectives top 100. Uh, they had three Cubs as well, I believe, but not the same three Cubs. Um, let me just – Alcantara, he was on the America – Kevin Alcantara? Yeah, yes or no? On the baseball, baseball America? America? Was yes, 91. Yes. Okay, yes. Yeah. So, so I – I think that uh, the final guy, I, I don't know. I could, could we see, um, I, I don't think Jordan Wicks will be up there. I don't think, uh, uh, actually I'm going to, I'm going to revise my thing. I'm four. I'm going to go with Mervis. will make it with those three. I, I got a little, I jumped my gun a little bit. I'm going to say four Mervis with those three. Randall, what do you think? So I do think that uh, a guy like Kevin Alcantara does make it on that list just because he has been climbing the ranks. I am curious to see if a guy like Alexander Canario makes this list because he had such a prolific power season. The only reason we didn't talk about him slightly more, and we talked about him plenty because we're good like that, um, was because Mervis was having such a prolific season as well. So that's two guys I'm curious if they kind of make the cut are, uh, like Jeremy said, Alcantara, and to see if Alexander Canario makes the list um, going into the season. I do wonder if they will dock him because of the foot injury, which of course is going to keep him out of organized play for at least a little bit longer. I, I, I do, I do want to go back. Cause I did say five originally. And I, I was trying to think in my head, like who was that fifth guy? And I couldn't think of that's why I went back. But to me, I think, I think Cade Horton might make it the Cubs first round okay. pick from last year. So I'm going to go back with my five and I'm going to be very optimistic. Cause I know Callis is a Cubs guy. I mean, he's not a Cubs fan per se, but he's covered the Cubs for a long time. He's had a lot of contacts. So I'm going to say he's going to have some implicit bias towards the Cubs. And I hope a pitcher, gets into the mix, right? And it's all arbitrary. And the difference, we were talking about this last week too, like the difference between 101 or 105 and 90 to 100, it's Even like 70, yeah. Yeah, it's exactly right. There's a lot of wild cards when you get to the back end of the 100. But given the investment the Cubs have made into the farm, I want to see as many names as possible pop up there. So it would be cool if a pitcher could crack the top 100, whether it's Cade Horton, Jordan Wicks, I I don't know, Ben Brown, uh, Wisniewski even. Like maybe somebody pops in there and ends up. But I would be 
very encouraged if a pitcher made the top 100 for the Cubs tomorrow. Yes, and what I and I I do want to point out that Baseball Prospectus did release their uh, top 100 last or uh, a few days ago, and they did have Matt Mervis on there, but they also had like Wesneski and kind of that next kind of tier of guys. But one interesting to me was they had Daniel Palencia as a guy they thought could make the top 100 list for 2024. So I thought that was kind of an interesting name that we never really talk about or hear about, that they're thinking mm-hmm. in the future, like this is a guy that can kind of, if he progresses, maybe on next year's top 100 list, Daniel Palencia is a name. So I thought that was interesting just to have that out there. Well, it got me thinking about something else too. And I'm very excited to see the list that comes out. It'll probably be top of mind when we are recording episode number 98 next week. But I've seen some things online and it's been irritating me a bit. And I hope that you guys don't think I'm too negative for what I'm about to say here. But I think some Cubs fans need to pump the brakes a little bit with regards to the overhaul of the minor league system. And I just mean with regards to this. I've seen a lot of comparisons to 2013, 2014, 2015. And frankly, I think that's a little premature. I'm very happy with this Cubs turnaround in the farm. I think the strength that this Cubs farm system has right now is it has depth. But I don't know that there are a lot of superstars in the Cubs system right now. Like, there's no Chris Bryant in the Cubs system right now. So we need to stop talking about 2014 and 2015. And if you remember in 2015, the MLB.com Top 100, the Cubs had two top five prospects. They had Chris Bryant and Addison Russell. They had a bunch of guys in the top 100. Jorge Soler was in the top 100. I almost pulled a Randall there. Kyle Schwarber was in the top 100. I don't know if you remember this. Carl Edwards Jr. was a top 100 prospect for the Chicago Cubs. So while I'm super excited about the farm, there's a bunch of guys, especially Crow Armstrong, that I'm just chomping at the bit to see him go. We got to stop saying that this is like 2014 because they don't at this point in time, at least not clearly yet, they don't have that top, top, top end talent like a Chris Bryant. Is that fair? Or am I being a little sour on the Cubs farm? No, that's 100% fair. I think the farm system is going to be the strength of this rebuild if it does bear fruit, but I think it's going to be the strength for a different reason. Like you said, the Cubs system was very top heavy going into the last window of success. And at this point, I think it's got a better foundation and I think it's got a better foundation from the ground up, but it's not, uh, there, there aren't as many kind of fine points on the farm system. Like you said, there isn't a whole lot of star power coming up through the system. And there are guys who could develop into star power. If Pete Crow Armstrong rakes at double a with that kind of glove, you absolutely have a star in the making, but like you said, you don't have a Chris Bryant in the system right now. And that's the big difference. But I do think a lot of the depth that, like you said, that they do have in the minor leagues, I think is maybe going to sustain them for slightly longer than this burn brightly and flame out uh, farm system. And, you know, that's, that's a, a very, very gross oversimplification, but I do think it's going to sustain them a little bit better this time around than it did uh, going into the last period of success. Uh, one thing you have to remember is, a lot, as you to your point, Ronan, that the Cubs built a lot of their last uh, that period you're referring to through draft picks, which they had a lot of top draft picks. Chris Bryant yeah. was number two pick. Uh, I mean, Albert Amor was number six pick. He, you know, we all know his major league career, but he was a sort of top pro, uh, prospect for a while. Kyle Schwarber was the number four pick. They traded for Addison Russell, another. I think he was number eleven, but right there on the cusp of being a top ten. Javi Baez was a number nine. Was number nine overall. 
Um, so I believe in 2014, the Cubs had three top 10 prospects in Russell, Bryant, and Baez on the Baseball America thing uh, page. And that was actually a rarity. Like there was only like five times in history that it happened. So no, this is nowhere near that. We're not in that uh, kind of area. We The Cubs haven't really had those kind of draft picks. I mean, if you only remember, like they were a really good team up until 2021 when they tore it down. So they never really have been drafting really that high. Uh, and even recently, Kate Horton was the number seven pick overall. So I, I yes, they don't have that, but this, the system does kind of remind me of one thing. I remember like 10 years ago, and I think this is kind of back when Callis was still covering uh, for baseball America. And I remember them talking about at the end of the Hendry days, kind of that the Cubs system wasn't really like an elite system, but they had, they believed they had more pro prospects, like, like guys that are going to be major leaguers in that system than almost any system in the league. And they did like have a ton of guys that would just kind of come up and be major leaguers and were populating teams. I, I would always kind of laugh. I'd point out like, Oh, this guy was a former cup man. And this guy was a former cup man. They, they weren't all like star players or all stars, but they were major leaguers. And I feel like that's kind of the era we are in now. And we have a little bit more top heavy guys, but to Randall's point, like, I feel like there's a lot of depth of guys that are going to be major league mm-hmm. blazers and are going to contribute. And it's not like, like some teams, like it's like you get past the top guys and it's, it's all filler. Like none of these guys are going to play in the majors. And I think there's a long way down of guys that are like, okay, I could see this guy playing for a little bit or a long career or whatever in the major leagues. And I think that is something the Cubs do have right now, but they still need to add to that top. Like yes. they don't have that kind of elite talent that they did in 2014, which is why, we wanted to see them add that lead talent like a free agency because they kind of have the kind of supplemental players, not like the Chris Bryant's and Schwarber's and bias type players. Yeah. Uh, I just, I, I'm not, again, I'm not trying to poo poo what's been a very impressive turnaround to the farm. Depth appears to be the strength versus top end superstars. Something to the Cubs credit though, in this rebuild versus the last one, it seems that pitching prospects much higher ceiling for this group in terms of pitching and not all these guys are going to necessarily be major league Cubs, but they'll get traded for guys that are going to help out major league Cubs. That's all part of the game too. So there's stuff to be excited about. It's just when I'm, when I'm bored, when I'm frustrated, when I'm taking a break from work and I hop on Reddit and I see people talking about the Cubs and they're like, oh, they're building up the farm just like 2014. All I'm thinking is, well, where's Chris Bryant, right? Where is Addison Russell? Where's Kyle Schwarber? I don't know that those guys are here right now, but I'm very excited, of course, about the pitching. Uh, and Colorado, we, South Korea, and Philadelphia, respectively. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but it's, it's just different. It's like, I think it's natural for fans to want to compare things to the last time, but that's just sort of human nature. But there's not a whole lot about this Cubs rebuild that really mirrors what they did 10 years ago with Theo. It's a completely different circumstance. They're starting at a different point. Hopefully the end game will be the same that this results in a World Series championship. Yeah, and uh, even Tom Ricketts was doing it the other day. Uh, he was comparing it to the that that time period. And that was um, irritating me, Jeremy, because yes. it's nonsense. This isn't 2013 or 2014 anymore, and it's certainly not 2015 with two top five prospects. And that era was a little different. Like Jorge Soler was one of the last guys where you could kind of go out and just pay whatever you want to get – uh, uh, talent of Jorge Soler's where now you have the $5 million cap or whatever on international free agents. And, and I would point out Christian Hernandez is a guy who's probably going to be borderline top 100 on some of these lists. But uh, yeah, so like they had that. And now I feel like that was a kind of this whole teardown. The Cubs really didn't have any prospects at that time when Theo came over. Starling Castro was really kind of it. There was they Then he traded for Anthony Rizzo. 
And so it was, it kind of, we had to like build up this whole kind of organization. Well, the organization's kind of here and we had this run and what really Jed had to do is basically he's just, he's more trying to reload. Like he's not trying to necessarily rebuild where he traded a bunch of players. He got some prospects and it's kind of like this quick kind of jump. Like we want to compete now kind of, we, we know 2022 is, or excuse me, three is probably not going to be the Cubs year, but like all of us right here, we want to, win now we're not kind of in this position well we'll see what it's like in 24 25 26 like we were in 2012 and 11 like so i think jed is really kind of trying to jumpstart this so it's not going to be the same rebuild it's gonna be a no. different rebuild yeah so that's a point really i'm trying to make here this is not the same as it was a decade ago it's different in a number of ways i don't want cubs fans to not be excited about these guys i can't wait to see some of these guys at wrigley field it's just different and that top end offensive talent I don't see that right now, but there's guys in the system, give them another year or two in the farm, and maybe they are top 10 prospects at that point. So long way to go with all of this. A couple of transactions here that I wanted to touch on. A couple of Cubs have cleared waivers, and they're staying in the system. It's pitchers Anthony Kay and Manny Rodriguez. So good news on that front. Two other players that have gotten minor league deals here in the last week. Let's start with the relief pitcher, or pitcher, I guess he's done starting and pitching in his past. A right-hander, Jordan Holloway. He's a Colorado guy. From Arvada, northwest to downtown Denver, 27-year-old, gets a minor league deal, was injured most of last year in the Marlins system. When he has played just 15 career big league games over the last three years, he strikes out a lot of guys, he walks a lot of guys. So maybe a perfect fit for this pitch lab, right? Let's see what Jordan Holloway can do in the Cubs system. Yeah, definitely. A guy who throws hard, too. Uh, 95, 96, 97 miles per hour. So uh, I like, you know, get you get as many guys as you can and as you said into the pitch lap and we'll yeah. see where they go and and some of these Colorado guys have been pretty successful as pitchers I can think of Roy Halliday I can think of Kevin Gossman so um you know let's get another arm in there yeah there's Cubs. nothing wrong there's no limit on minor league deals get as many of these hard throwing guys as you can in this vaunted pitching infrastructure and you know if you sign three or four guys and you end up with one decent hard throwing uh pitcher with some degree of control out of it then your 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 pitching infrastructure is paid for itself so good good for them the other cubs move here addressing the backstop position this is a minor league deal for a guy who will be 27 in may a catcher luis torrens uh, he's played with seattle the last couple of years he's also been in the padres system 2021 his best year in the majors hit 15 home runs in just over 100 games the top two catchers are set. We're going to see a lot of Tucker Barnhart. We're going to see a lot of Jan Gomes at Wrigley Field this year. But as you dip down that depth chart, certainly Miguel Amaya, who had an injury-plagued minor league system last year, is a name Cubs fans are going to be looking at. And now you've got maybe an offensive first catcher also in the mix, presumably a guy who's going to be opening up the year in Des Moines. Yeah, I think this says a lot about the fact that they don't want to have to risk potentially depending, depending on Amaya if – uh, Jan Gomes is to go down. If Tucker Barnhart were to go down, your third catcher right now would be uh, Dom Nunez, who is just kind of a oh, generic, <laughs> yeah, just kind of a generic, you know, catch the ball, throw it back kind of catcher. Uh, you know, Terenz is another veteran-ish option who's probably going to play at Iowa. And again, I, I think they don't want to put themselves in a situation where they suffer a catching injury. And they have to depend potentially on Miguel Amaya or bring up a, a guy like Don Nunez. So it's another depth move. Um, there had been reports that the Cubs were looking at another kind of veteran 
catcher to play in the minor leagues come in on a minor league deal like this. And they it did turn out that way. So, you know, go hit at Iowa. And if there's an injury, you find your way to the major leagues potentially. Definitely an offense first uh, guy. Uh, uh, not that he's a bad defensive catcher, but not, not the highest marks behind the backstop. Um, but he, had, as you said, he has, he has had some success, especially for a catcher. He's had some decent offensive success. So I, I think it's just, as Randall said, and as you said, uh, depth, I think you want another, a third catcher, a guy at Iowa where, you know, catchers get hurt, guys get hurt. You want yeah. a guy who can come up and not, you know, kind of like, I, I don't, think they would want to count on him for you know for a month or two months but you know every once in a while you're going to need a third catcher you're going to need a guy to come up and give you something and so i think that's pretty much the signing of torrens and he he has played in the matrix so he's not he's a guy that can come up and do that i took a quick look at the mariners subreddit today just kind of seeing if they had anything to say about it and ironically they did this guy was a bit of a a fan favorite or a cult favorite in Seattle. Lots of big hits the last two years. It's not that he was one of the great players in that organization, just a lovable fan favorite who seemed to get the clutch hit when they needed it. So it was kind of cool to see Mariners fans being like, damn, I'm going to miss this guy. Best of luck in the Cubs system. I saw something too, though, that made me laugh a little bit here. Uh, uh, Randall just basically saying, wow, the Mariners are overflowing with talent that they've got these guys that now go to other systems. And that <laughs> had me chuckling a little bit here thinking about a backup or fringe major league catcher like this being a mariners fan has to be a rough life sometimes they've been bad historically they've been very very bad but it's super cool to see them back in the playoffs last year yeah the longest uh postseason drought it's over so go mariners go j-rod uh and you know what if they're gonna be happy and think things like that good for them you got me thinking, Jeremy. Uh, I hope one of you guys have an answer to this. With the Mariners snapping that, what's the longest drought now in the major leagues in terms of playoff appearances? What team has that? I is it the Tigers? I feel like they're about eleven years. I, th- I okay. think. I think it might be the Tigers. I'm not hundred percent sure, but it's it went from about twenty years to about like ten years. So, uh, I that would be my guess would be the Detroit Tigers. Mm-hmm. It looks like Randall's looking. Maybe we'll get an answer on this here in a minute. Uh, But it was the Mariners, 2001. They win 116 games. They go to the playoffs. They get knocked out in the postseason. And then they're out until 2022. And that is with multiple rounds of playoff expansion in that time as well. So tough stretch for the Mariners. What do you got, Randall? We have two teams tied for the current longest MLB postseason drought, the Tigers and the Angels are now both tied oh. with eight-year droughts. Uh, 2014, the Tigers made the World Series. That's right. And that's the only uh, playoff appearance for Mike Trout ever in his career was 2014 as well. Unbelievable. What a waste. How incompetent Royals. of an organization can you be that you can't do anything with the greatest player of our generation here? So uh, bad stuff there in Anaheim. We're not talking about bad predictions. I had the Angels winning the pennant last year in the American League. That one did not age by. That was a little bit of a, this is a team that's going to maybe sneak into the postseason with like 88 wins and then get hot. Didn't work out. That team was more so the Phillies in the National League who got into the postseason and then got hot. But man, my guess with the Angels, swing and a miss there. Big, big swing and a miss there. Angels apparently no longer exploring uh, being sold. So Arte Moreno. Uh, apparently does not want to let go of the Angels just yet. All right, guys, let's try something a little bit different here. When I was back home in Chicago for what should have been one week, it ended up being two weeks because Southwest Airlines 
had a little bit of an incident there at the end of December. It led to some really cool moments, and I got a little bit of extra time between Christmas and New Year with the family, and that meant more time with the niece and nephew. And one of the gifts that my nephew Colin got was a baseball Cubs trivia book, basically. And we went, we spent some time around the New Year's. He was peppering me with some questions, and ultimately that led to this idea of we need Colin to hit us up with some trivia questions and see how we do with this. Now, I don't have a name for this segment yet. I've got a potential name. See how you guys feel about this. It is Colin Questions Crandall. Hmm. Maybe we're on board with that. At least I'm interested in it. If you come up with a better name, Randall, you're good with alliteration. We'll give it a go here. But let's see how we do. My nephew Colin has two trivia questions for us. He's got audio that he sent into the podcast. We'll listen to his question, and then we'll do our best with the answer. Uh, how do we think? What do we feel? And Jeremy, what do you think? Colin questions Crandall. I like it. I, I like it too. I like. Uh, I, I think it, it kind of flows. Colin questions Crandall. Uh, it's good for me. I, that's a thumbs up, and and we'll see how it goes. Yeah, I'm. I'm going to veto that. There's nobody on this pod by that name. Uh, I feel like we can do better, and I think we will. Well, I like to think of Crandall as Cubs plus Randall equals Crandall. So we'll go. see here. Let's go to the first question, though. Randall, fire up the audio on it. Our first question from Colin. Let's see what he has to say. In honor of the football playoffs, I have a football question for you guys. In the 43rd round of the 2009 MLB draft, the Cubs selected which future NFL quarterback? All right. That's a good one. That's a good question from Colin here. And I like the timing here as we get ready for the best weekend in football here. I love conference championship Sunday. It's going to be must watch TV on Sunday. Um, I got some names percolating in my head here. Does anybody have a lead on this? I think Boy, I that, might know it. Yeah, that's a real solid question, Colin. Thanks for sending that in uh, to your uncle Ronan and his podcast partners. Um, I am going to guess. Uh, I'm going to guess Russell Wilson. Okay. I'm going to guess, and I know he was drafted by the Cubs, so I'm not 100% sure if this is the right guy, but I know he was drafted by the Cubs. I'm going to guess Colin Kaepernick. Okay. That's a good guess, I think, Jeremy. And Randall, I'll just sort of think out loud here for a minute. When the question came in, I'm thinking, okay, who are football players that have a baseball background, whether they were a college baseball player, they were drafted, you know, by a team, they were a good high school player. And there's all these names that sort of percolate Kyler Murray, but he doesn't really align with that timeline. Uh, Russell Wilson is certainly a name that comes to mind. Patrick Mahomes, just because of his dad being a big leaguer. Hey, like these are the names that are sort of going, but he said 2009, right? It might be Kaepernick, Jeremy. Is that are we gonna are we moving forward with Kaepernick or who else stands out? I know Kaepernick was drafted by the Cubs. That I know for a fact. Two thousand nine does seem a little early to me, but I know for a fact he was drafted by the Cubs. One other name that's in my mind, and he's too late on this timeline, but just thinking about baseball players and stuff like that. Uh, Clayton Richard was a yeah. college football player at Michigan but obviously not drafted by the Cubs. I'm just thinking about who are these White football Sox. players and baseball players that have a bit of an overlap there. Uh, so what do you say? We move forward with Colin Kaepernick. Is that going to be our official guess? That, let's guess, guess that officially. Colin for All Colin. Right. Let's uh, play the answer here. Let's see what he's got. And the answer is Colin Kaepernick. Ah, Jeremy, you're the guy, man. Colin Kaepernick. Wow. How about that? Colin for Colin. It's got to be Colin for Colin. 
That's really good. And again, I love the timing here with the NFL playoffs. All right, let's get to the second one here. Final question from Colin in our uh, Cubs trivia segment here with Colin asking us Cubs and baseball related questions. Let's see what he's got. This one's for you, Ronan. On September 26, 2003, the Cubs swept the Pirates on a doubleheader to win the division. Who were the Cubs starting pitchers in those games? Oh, this is classic. This is classic, classic Cubs. And really, great timing. I don't think Colin is aware that we're spending time this year revisiting the 2003 team, the 20-year anniversary. So I love the timing on that. I was at Wrigley Field for both games of this doubleheader. Um, Mark Pryor is one of them. And I think he started game one of the doubleheader, the game they won. And then the Astros and the Brewers were playing. That got resolved. And then the Cubs won game two. So I think Mark Pryor was one of them. Does that drive with you guys? Are you, you feeling that too? I, I would agree with you. I think Mark Pryor was one of them. Unfortunately, I missed this day because it was a holiday. So It was. It was a holiday. Now, anytime the Cubs make well, oh, the... For our audience, what holiday? Jeremy? Oh, me? I believe it was one of the high holidays. It was either Rush or Yom Kippur. I don't remember which holiday. But it was one of those days, it, one of those two it was, days. It was one of the Jewish high holidays. Uh, but I like to think that anytime the Cubs make the playoffs, it's a holiday. Um, Mark Pryor for game one certainly sounds right. And I feel like game two is kind of one of the lesser guys, maybe. I'm going to guess Matt Clement as your That's game two what I was starter thinking. that day. Randall, yeah, Matt Clement is in my mind here for game two. I also remember Steve Stone did not broadcast this game because of said high holiday. Uh, I was there. I wasn't watching the game anyway, but I remember Steve Stone being with the team all season and then missing the day right. that they win the division because of celebrating a holiday. Uh, are we going with Clement or Jeremy? Is there another name there in your mind? Clement sounds good. I, I do remember watching the end of the game because that's kind of when everything and seeing the end. I don't remember the start. And I remember Richie Sexton, though, and the Brewers having a pretty good series against the Astros. That I remember. But uh, I'll go with Clement. I'll go with the guy with the beard. Uh, yeah. Uh, who apparently Trey Mancini, first time at Wrigley, he had the little Matt Clement beard. Yeah, Goatee uh, is goatee, the proper yes, name goatee. there. Sorry. Uh, yeah, goatee. hey, respect the facial hair. I will. So we get that right. Uh, One the of the first thing, games we ever went to, Matt Clement started together. That's right. The other thing about that doubleheader, game one was tight. It was a close game. It came down to the very end. The Cubs won it. Game two was a bit of a blowout. Sammy Sosa, in fact, hit a monster home run early in game two of that doubleheader. And if my memory serves me right, it was either the top of the shrubs in center field, the batter's eye, or over the shrubs in center field with that early home run. But I think it's Matt Clement. So, Colin, let's see if you got us this time or if we win this round. What's the answer? The answer is Mark Pryor and Matt Clement. All right, guys, we got it. Mark Pryor and Matt Clement, and that was the order that they appeared in that game. Good questions. Almost got us, but uh, you got to bring a better effort next time, Colin. We're, we're, we're here. We're ready we're for here. these trivia questions, and we knocked this one out. So 2 nothing BTYL with the victory here this time, but uh, more questions coming from Colin over the next couple of weeks. I'm excited. Yeah, a, I'm looking forward to it. It's a great segment. Colin ha already has a voice for radio and trivia. So, Colin, thanks for sending those in. And we uh, look forward to uh, hearing and answering more of your trivia questions going forward. And my niece, Tegan, heard that this was going to be happening. And she said, well, wait a minute. We need some Simpsons trivia. So, Jeremy, that's coming from Tegan. We'll get some of that here as we get closer to spring training as well. But thank you, Colin. Good stuff there. Uh, here's something Colin doesn't really know about because it predates his time. Mm -hmm. Chip Carey 
Chicago Cubs broadcaster, part of our youth. He was with the Cubs from 1998 to 2004, took, after, uh, took over with the Cubs after his grandfather, Harry, passed away. He is moving back to the division, and he's going back to his roots in St. Louis. He is named the television play-by-play broadcaster for the St. Louis Cardinals. Welcome back, Chip Carey. What a what a fantastic hiring by the Cardinals TV booth. Chip Carey is a perfect fit to broadcast Cardinals games because he's going to tell Cardinals fans exactly what they want to hear. He is going to spend one third of every broadcast extolling the virtues of the best fans in baseball and the tradition and the history and the this and the that and every grade of we have kids listening to this one. So I'm not going to say the word that almost came to mind. Every grade of just baloney that the Cardinals fans are going to eat up. And that's what Cardinals fans do eat is subpar food products. So what a perfect hiring by the Cardinals TV booth. And, um, you know, Chip does get to go back where, of course, his famous grandfather did broadcast famously for 25 years. So good for him. I know that's going to mean a lot to him. But what a perfect hiring by the Cardinals for their TV booth. I'm just happy that Randall Sanders on this podcast honored Chip Carey by pulling a Chip Carey move, and that is censoring himself for the broadcast, as Chip (laughs) Carey would do with the best pause sports show, period. He would censor words out there, and Randall did that as well. Yes, Um, I did. Chip being a... uh, a St. Louis guy growing up in St. Louis, I believe, uh, you know, it's actually kind of a cool career if you think about it, you know, regardless of how we all feel about his broadcasting ability. But, you know, he, he did the Cubs where his grandfather was Doug, the radio announcer or excuse me, and the TV announcer. He did the Cardinals now where his grandfather and he grew up big time and he did the Braves for his father and he moved to at the end. So that that's kind of cool to think that he's got all three of those. I mean, maybe we'll do the White Sox and the uh the A's at some point, but uh, yeah, you know, I never was a Dan McLaughlin guy as a guy who would watch all the, you know, all around the teams. I thought his broadcasts were terrible. Chip Carey to me is not going to make watching Cardinals games much better. Um, so I'm, that's always one I kind of, the Braves are always when I did the road team and the Cardinals are always when I did the road team. So it kind of seems like it's going to stay that way, but uh, you know, good for Chip, I guess, you know, he, he gets to do something he loved. And unfortunately, like he, when he was hired by the Cubs, he was the plan was for him to broadcast with his grandfather. And it was unfortunate that his grandfather passed away before the season started and he had to take over for his grandfather. So, you know, good for him, I guess, getting what he wants. But uh, don't come back to Chicago if the Cubs are winning another World Series. I don't need to see you on Fox 32 during postgame shows if you're the Cardinals broadcaster. No, thank you. No, thank you. It's going to be a lot of line drive, base hit, caught out there on St. Louis Cardinals broadcasts. Yeah, not the best call, unfortunately, in Chip's career. I, I don't necessarily have the fondest memories of Chip, and when I go back and I watch highlights from 98, 03, and 04, I cringe a little bit, actually. At uh, I, We were so spoiled with Len for so many years that when you go back and you hear some of those clips, they haven't necessarily aged well. That said, he was a part of some of the biggest moments in our life in Cubs history. Uh, Carey's 20 strikeout game, Sammy's home run race, including maybe the greatest regular season Cubs game of all time. The the Sammy game against the Brewers where he went off on that Sunday and Grace hit the walk-off home run. Uh, Obviously, 2003, 2004 had many notable games for the Cubs as well. He was in the booth for that 01 team that I love so much. But uh, there were some phrases he had the Glen Allen Hill, it's got to be the shoes 
when he hit the ball onto the rooftop across the street at Wrigley. And then obviously the Ricky Gutierrez play. He was on the call on WGN TV in 2001 when he scores at home against the Rockies. So a long time in Atlanta. He was with the Braves from 2005 through the 2022 season. He now goes to St. Louis. And when I was looking at Harry's career, I knew he was in St. Louis for a long time. There's an entire generation of baseball fans in the Midwest who associate Harry Carey with the St. Louis Cardinals. Of course, we think of him as a Cubs guy. Harry's first year in St. Louis, 1945. That's how long back his career went. 1945 to 1969, had the stint with the White Sox, and then obviously was a Cub from the early 80s on. And something I watched today made me a little bit sad. Harry Carey's last seventh inning stretch at Wrigley Field at the end of the 1997 season, and I watched it today for the first time in years, and he looked old, right? He didn't look very healthy at that point in time. And it just made me a little bit sad to think that was it. The last time that those fans got to embrace him at Wrigley Field. And I was at the ballpark for his second to last seventh inning stretch. Uh, Ryan Sandberg's also second to last game as a Chicago Cub, ironically against the Phillies at Wrigley back in 97. So chips back in the division. Get ready for fisted lineouts. Oof. One of the common phrases that Chip says when a batter gets jammed. And on at least one occasion, you know that the marquee booth is going to invite Chip over for like an inning because uh, he's back in the National League Central. It's going to be so cringe. It's going to be so painful. Ronan, you mentioned that you saw a video of Harry's last seventh inning stretch. It reminds me a little of uh, a, an audio clip that I keep around. It was Ron Santos last time on Cubs radio. Um, as he was getting towards the end of his time and his health was failing, he did not go on, I think, the final road trip of his final season. And he he signs off with Pat Hughes, and he talks about how his player of the game is the Cubs fans and how he can't wait to do his next season with Pat. And uh, sadly, he did not make it to that. So you, you never know when you're going to see the last something of some famed, beloved broadcaster, and it's important to appreciate those. I, I, I'm curious about this. I actually had a question for you, uh, Ronan. How, because I know some older Cubs fans that, as you say, associated Harry with the Cardinals and never really kind of got into Harry as a Cub, as the Cubs broadcaster because, or they were associated with either the Cardinals or the White Sox. And, you know, kind of guys, maybe there'd be more of the Jack Brickhouse era. Was that ever a thing for like your, let's say your father, like, was he ever, was he into Harry as a Cubs broadcaster? Or is he, he kind of like, oh, that's still kind of the White Sox Cardinals guy. No, I think uh, I, I should ask my dad. I'm, I'm curious. I mean, my memory growing up is we all loved Harry and we met Harry Carey actually before a game at Wrigley in 95 or 96 or so. We saw him, remember the old uh, third base line outside the ballpark where the Yum Yum Donuts and things used to be. You could go out there and meet guys. You'd see them as they were coming and going from the ballpark. Jeremy has a fond memory of watching Bob Brenly smoke yes. a cigarette out there. <laughs> outside Very of the fond memory. Outside Cubs of the caretaker's cottage. But, you know, I think Harry, though, endeared himself to Cubs fans, and Harry had two of the great Cubs teams of the last 40 or 50 years as well in 84 and 89. And it was a different era. Cable TV was booming starting in the, the beginning of the 1980s to the end of the 1980s. Like 50 or 60 million additional subscribers got on board with cable TV, and WGN was right in the middle of it. Day games, Wrigley Field, Harry Carey, two Cubs Hall of Famers, Mark Gray, Sean Dunstan. I mean, that endeared so many Cubs fans and most of those teams were bad but 84 really good Cubs team Harry in the booth I think that won over a lot of folks 
definitely. That was his second season, I believe, or uh, it was right right there at the beginning. And it was definitely Steve Stone's second season. So, uh, you know, you get in and you get that really great team there in 84 to announce. And uh, uh, just interesting, you know, just to think about Harry, his career and, you know, all the rumors of why he left St. Louis, which maybe him and the owner's wife, uh, Mrs. Bush, getting along too well. But uh, hopefully Chip doesn't have those going on when he goes back to St. Louis. Yeah. There's been, over the years, visiting announcers that are given the reins to do the seventh inning stretch at Wrigley. We have seen uh, Jack Buck do it. Actually, 2001, he sang the seventh inning stretch at a Cubs-Cardinals game I was at. And I remember at the time being annoyed because it was the Cardinals guy. And my brother, Connor, who I was at the game with, said to me, well, hold on, this is their Harry Carey. So, you know, show a little bit of respect, even though it's the Cardinals guy. Uh, mentioned Vin Scully did it at Wrigley. Chip Carey gets a stretch at Wrigley Field next year. True or false? Oh, that's true. They let Euchre do it. They'll absolutely let Chip do it. Oh, there you go. Bob, you're, I'll say true as well. I mean, Chip, Chip, they brought Chip back for, I mean, not the Cubs, but Fox did for the Cubs World Series run in 2016, which I thought was kind of odd. So I feel like Chip's still kind of in the Chicago uh, media landscape. So he'll get it. He'll get a call. That's something. Absolutely. Yeah, Absolutely. I think he'll get the chance to do that. And uh, yeah, Chip Carey, get that MLB TV subscription, Randall. You get Chip Carey every night all summer calling St. Louis Cardinals baseball this year. Is that supposed so to be a selling point? or? Well, I, I enjoy watching the other teams and the other broadcasters. I, I, I'm just going to say I'm here in Denver, which has an awful television booth calling these games. So I do like to see what's going on elsewhere. I saw uh, Aaron Goldsmith. I believe is his name. He's the broadcaster in Seattle, a younger guy. He's in his late thirties. He's been in that job for maybe half a decade or so at this point. He grew up a Cardinals guy. There were rumors last minute that he was going to maybe leave Seattle and get the job in St. Louis. But at the end of the day, Chip Carey ends up getting the call. So I was talking with my buddy cop, a Cardinals fan. He was a little disappointed. He wanted Goldsmith coming back to the Midwest here, calling those Cardinals games. He's considered one of those up-and-coming voices in Major League Baseball, and uh, it's not to be, though. And, you know, if I had the choice, I would stay in Seattle instead of <laughs> moving to St. Louis. So I think he made the right call there. I, uh, Let's end I, with this. Oh, go for it. Uh, we want to spend time this year celebrating the 2003 Chicago Cubs. A couple weeks ago, we talked about some of the off-season movement. They went out, they got Dusty Baker, the big trade they made with the Dodgers, which brought Eric Karros and Mark Rodzelanica into town. And as we get through this season, we're going to try and match important days or dates. So opening day was a big day for the Cubs in 2003. They smoked the Mets. We'll celebrate that anniversary. Alex Gonzalez had a couple walk-off home runs in May. We'll honor those. Jeremy, I wanted you to bring something from the offseason into the show here tonight as we get ready for spring training. So 2003 Cubs offseason, the 02 to 03 offseason. Give us something here that we can bring this show home with talking about that 03 squad. Yeah, for me, actually, kind of looking back on that 03 team is, is that I was kind of not really thinking about is how much of that team really came back from 02. Like they didn't really do a whole amount in that offseason, especially at the top end that that really a lot of those players are already there and we all know sammy and whatever uh, moises was on the o2 Cubs, so a lot of what they did was kind of supplement that team they did a lot of kind of bench work which a lot of these offensive guys didn't really work out but some of what did work out was kind of the bullpen they kind of built that bullpen through the offseason so i thought it was just interesting to look at some of the names uh dave veers they signed he had a oh, yeah. uh, one-year two million dollar contract which is pretty good money for reliever in 2002 to be making he he did not have a great year necessarily but he, he gave you an arm another arm uh 31 appearances 
4.68 ERA, not great, but Mike Remlinger, they gave $10 million to yeah. over three years. Maybe after they had that big strikeout on Sammy, I think, in 02. He had a decent year, 73 appearances, 365 ERA. Mark Guthrie, a guy who I don't really quite remember being that great, one-year, $1.6 million deal, 2.74 ERA that year, 65 appearances. So pretty solid uh, job he did. And then, you know, you got that guy at the end of the rotation, Sean Estes, pretty much had a terrible year. But he uh, did give him $3 million, but he had that one start at the end of the season in Cincinnati. And a guy who I think was kind of underrated that they traded for and uh, from Milwaukee, uh, they gave a a PTBNL, a guy named Ryan Grip, who was a third baseman, never made the majors. Not really super familiar with him, but they acquired Paul Bacco, who I think was kind of an important part of that team as a guy, a backup kind of catcher. He, I, I would love to see what his framing numbers were because we don't have that data for back then. But kind of a respected guy around the bench, and he actually had a decent year at the bat that year. So a solid kind of off the bench or third, second catcher, backup catcher, Damian Miller, um, which is kind of interesting because you look at a lot of that roster, the rotation. You know, you look at Zambrano kind of came out of nowhere. I mean, he was a top prospect, but he really kind of put it all together that year. Uh, Wood. Uh, prior Clement, all those guys were on the O2 Cubs. Sosa's yep. on the O2 Cubs. Um, they made the trade for Karos and Grazalonic, we talked about. But uh, Alou, I mentioned, Patterson came up. A lot of this was all internal. So it was really kind of that offseason was kind of spent on figuring out what guys to put around that. And the bullpen, kind of building the bullpen was kind of a key part of that offseason. Essential Paul Bacco fact. Jeremy, do you know what Paul Bacco's given first name is? Randall. Oh, I just. No. Cause I just looked this up earlier. I remember I noted it in my head being like, ah, Paul's not his first name, but now I don't remember what his actual first name was, but it I do is, remember. Go for it. Yeah. It is a Gabor G A B O R Gabor Gabor Paul Baco Paul being actually his given middle name. Okay. There you go. What's that backwards Randall in honor of Harry. Uh, row, row bag. <laughs> oh, I love it. I love it. Jeremy, you know, your point, though, is spot on. Uh, O2 was a bad year for the Cubs. Like, it didn't end well. Don Baylor gets fired, and it, it just was messy. But there were multiple guys. Mark Pryor made his major league debut in 2002. Fortunate to be at Wrigley Field that night. When he got the call up, my dad was like, we're going to the ballpark. We're going to go see this, this new gunner. At the end of the year in August, I saw Carlos Sembrano's major league debut with the Cubs. Um, also, don't forget Joe Borowski who was the stopper for the Cubs in 2003. He made one start for the 2002 Cubs, and he got shelled. Against the San Francisco Giants, Barry Bonds had a homer off him. Opposite field is my memory of that, out to left center. But there were names. like There were guys that were getting innings. You mentioned Clement. Wood had some injury issues in 02, had one of the best years of his career then in 2003. But you were starting to see the roster come together in 2002, and certainly Carlos Zambrano and Mark Pryor right in the middle of all of it. And there was a few other names that uh, we can mention that didn't quite kind of make it there, but uh, Juan Cruz yes. uh, was coming up at that time. He still started uh, six games for that team. Kind of a, a guy you had, uh, Sergio Amitre made starts. Uh, Kyle Farnsworth was still on that team. So there were a lot of guys that were kind of in the organization or had already pit, been up there. Uh, you know, Todd Wellmeyer, I believe was coming up added appearances for those teams. So Shoulders. like a lot of, a lot of, that team that was built was kind of already kind of in place, whether they be in the organization already or uh, in terms of the minors or like coming back from the O2 team. Uh, we know Aramis would made that uh, there was midseason trade with Aramis and Kenny Lofton, but Alex Gonzalez was already on the, in the organization. So like there were a lot of guys that 
it what that offseason was not spent like making like bringing in big names. It was spent like getting some supplemental players on on the bench. Yeah. You had Ramon Martinez, Lenny Harris started the team with the with the, uh, started the year with the club. You know, Tom Goodwin I think was acquired that offseason. Troy O'Leary. So like it was kind of like that range of guys that they were kind of spending money on. The future lemons, Randall. All those yes. uh, infield. The future guys. lemons. The future lemons. The future stuntmen. I mean, the as big, they call themselves. The big move really was Dusty. Like he was the yeah. huge kind of move that they went out and they got coaching, uh, managing the World Series the year uh, before in 02. And I remember it being like, even in the World Series, people were like, "Well, Dusty's not coming back to the Giants. The Cubs are out there, like pretty much stalking him." Uh, and mm-hmm. that was talk in the World Series. I I, re- I recall that being like, "Oh, we're gonna get Dusty Baker while the 02 World Series was going on." Yeah. Yeah, and it ended poorly, but I'm looking forward to documenting that team month by month, game by game, and we're going to be honest. We'll take the highs and the lows. We're going to be talking about Bill Miller having a tough day in St. Louis and some of the good and bad things that happened over the course of the year, but so much fun with that team. And uh, Chip Carey and Steve Stone reunited in the booth there for that 2003 season. It wouldn't last much longer. They were both gone by the end of 2004, but 20 years after the fact, let's enjoy that 03 team. And it's a lot easier, I think, for us to go back and reflect on that team given 2016. Correct. Right? If 2016 had not happened, boy, the way 2003 ended, it would still be very bitter and sour for us. But we've been able to uh, avenge that a bit with the World Series title. Correct. Very correct. Yeah. We would not be able to talk about 2003 objectively if 2016 had not happened. All right, well, next week we'll come back. We'll take a look at the MLB top prospects list. We'll see if the Cubs make another move with their major league roster or with the 40-man roster. And maybe we'll get that Simpsons trivia, Jeremy, from Tegan to kind of keep this going. But good stuff from Colin today. We are on Twitter at BTYL Podcast. Give us a follow, and we will see you next time for episode 98 of Behind the Yellow Line.